Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of uh, SFP Now. Uh, we have a brilliant interview coming up in a few seconds uh, with um, comics writer Frank Martin, who's talking about his new comic, Modern Testament 3, uh, which basically is, there's three stories in each of these comic books, and it's all based on, you know, sort of like religious mythology and, and, and so forth. So you've got, you, you got sort of like gods from the, um, from, from the Bible, the Old Testament, as well as sort of like Greek gods and, and, and what have you. Um, so without further ado, um, we're just going to sort of like tune in and talk to Frank Martin. I'd like to welcome a uh, comic writer, uh, Frank Martin, to the show. Um, he's coming on to talk about uh, his anthology series, which is into its third issue now, I think, um, called Modern Testament 3. So it's kind of like the Old Testament, but modernised. Yeah, all, it's got, you got the Old Testament, then you got the New Testament, and now uh, we need a new, newer, newer Testament, so I figure call it Modern Testament. Okay, cool. Well, uh, I think I think the first question I'd, I'd like to ask you is is probably the question you get get the most um, in. How did you get into comics? How did you get into writing comics? Um, well, I was uh, typically like writing just in general, regular prose stories, short stories. I started out like most people writing fan fiction, being into certain shows and and movies, and wanting to write stories based on that. And I enjoyed reading comics, so like most people in that situation, they figure I like writing, I like comics, let me give it a shot, uh, writing comics. So it was kind of a natural progression, and it turned out to be a lot more difficult than I thought. I bet. Um, is, is Modern Testament your, your first foray into comics, or have you actually done, done a bit of work before that? It is, it is. Well, the, reason, the way I got into Modern Testament is because I took a, a comics writing class, and, of course, in a comics writing class, they're not going to have you write a whole issue. They're going to have you write a short. And then, so at the end of the class, I was left with the short. I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this? So I figured, why not make an anthology? So I had to write other shorts. And then from there, the series kind of took off. So I created a second volume and then a third. And I am uh, got a fourth in the works, which I'm planning on it being the last. Cool. Um, what, what was it about... Um you know, what, what was it that was really inspired you to do Modern Testament? And because um, from what, what I've seen, it's kind of like uh, a lot of the uh, the characters from the Old Testament of the Bible, um, you know, kind of like modernized and, and with a superhero slant on them. Well, just to me, it was just another aspect of fantasy, uh, mythology in general. And uh, the like I said in that class, the story I wrote was about an angel, and it was a kind of a standalone story. It really had nothing to do with anything, and I figured I need to put this to some use, so if I'm going to put it in an anthology, I need a theme. And I, I ran with the theme of, of biblical beings, like angels, so the next one was a demon, and then I did a horseman of the apocalypse, and I kind of pursued it from there, thinking of other biblical beings to continue that theme with future volumes. So well, it wasn't anything really purposeful. It was just I was trying to be practical and keep things... Um, connected. Yeah, and you, you say you got you, you got you're working on the fourth issue. The third issue's so like it's it's been released recently. Uh, it's coming out later this month, Come, sometime in the middle of December. Okay, so um, you know, uh, given that this will be going, this will be out in January. People can actually look for it. Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, issues around. I'm sorry. There'll, there'll be plenty of issues around, won't they? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, it's going to be di- available in digital and print. Mm-hmm. So 
so yeah, I'm going to be hitting some cons and people can pick it up there or you can get it on the website and uh, the publisher Insane Comics does a pretty good job um, making it available either through Comixology or Drive Through Comics or but the easiest and best place to get all their titles is pretty much through the website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll probably I'll probably um, have a bash through Comixology. I mean, I got the PDF version, um, yeah. which um, you know I, I read the first two two issues alongside Pat and um, you know Patrick, um, who unfortunately can't be be on the podcast today because he's working. Um, he he absolutely loves the series. I mean, I think he's actually giving you some you know real real positive reviews. I appreciate that. It's certainly uh, put a lot of heart and soul into this because it's not like I got one story I can put everything into. Each story, each volume in and of itself has three stories, so it's I got to constantly uh, work with different creative teams and churn out different stories and making sure everything kind of comes together in the end. Um, is is that has that been a bit of a problem though for you? You know, in in terms of uh, having different creative creative teams each time out. I wouldn't say it's a problem. It's just more work and it's a bigger challenge, but uh, it's definitely more rewarding. I definitely meet new people because I need to find a, whatever I need to do for a single story. I need to do three times over if there's three stories. And I, I try to put a pin up in, in every issue, so that's even more people involved. So so I find it cool that I got a, a little bit of a, a Modern Testament network going on between the four volumes. I'm going to have a, a lot. There have been a lot of people who who have had their their hands touching this series. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you're completely independent. You do this completely independently. Uh, with just you know reaching out to uh to to artists and and what have you within the comics community, right? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I, when I first. Uh, started pursuing um, more volumes through Insane Comics. I was talking to the editor, James, and I was trying to keep him in the loop. And he's like, man, I'm behind whatever you want to do. This is your series. You go after it. So um, it's pretty much been all of me figuring out who's going to do what and arranging everything. And it's it's been tough, but it's it's definitely rewarding in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you say that you're only going to do, you're only doing a fourth volume. Uh, now, I should imagine with, with, with all the characters from the Old Testament... As well as characters from from Asian mythologies, from from the different Asian mythologies that we have, because um, you got you know you got Greek, you've got you know Hindu mythology, you got so like uh, Norse, um, mm-hmm. you got all those things. Um, I should imagine it's quite feasible for Modern Testament to actually go on for 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 you know in infinity. <laughs> You know, much. I mean, for for this series, for Modern Testament itself, I'm trying to stick to um, religious scriptures, trying to pull mythologies from that. Um, majority of them are from the New Testament, but in Volume Two, I have a Golem, which is from typically J- Jewish mythology. Uh, volume Three actually fe- features gen- uh, genies, which is a uh, Islamic mythology thing. I haven't really delved into Greek and Norse or. Uh, Egyptian mythology, but it's it's definitely feasible, and it's not an it's not an unconnected issue, so it could definitely go on for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I noticed in issue three that you've got you've got the gin, um, in the genies, and um, you know, as soon as I've got time to read that, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sort like uh, sink my head into it. It's just sort like uh, as you know, you know, things kind of like insanely busy around this time of year. Yeah, it's uh, holidays. Everybody's doing something that really doesn't stop. But uh, that story in particular, I'm pretty proud of. It's, I mean, I cheated a little bit because I'm trying to feature one character in each story. And for that one, I kind of chose to, I have two genies in it. So technically there's four characters in volume four. But um, yeah, that one I'm particularly proud of because it's, it's, it's got an interesting premise to it and that the genies interact in a world a little bit in between ours. So everything is black and white except for them, and then we transfer over to the, the real world, which is in color. So it's, it's the story definitely has an interesting dynamic to it. So uh, I was definitely proud to put that one together. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as an independent comics writer, um, you know, given that you've done Modern Testament, you got um, and you got you've got got Volume Four in the works, um, Volume Three coming out soon. Do you have any uh, sort of like comic book plans beyond Modern Testament that you can talk about? <laughs> I got a, I got a couple things I'm working on with a collaborating with a bunch of different artists in in much different genres than Modern Testament. 
Uh, I got some action series, working on some pirate stories, some uh, crime stories, a little more grounded in reality than Modern Testament. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to, to cap it at four issues, because I could keep probably keep going, but uh, it's, at some point you kind of have to move on to other projects that are being held up because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as a comics creator, as a comics writer, um, who, who would you say has probably been the, uh, the most inspiration to you, um, as in, you know, from other comics writers or, you know, things like that? Uh, I would say growing up, I read a lot of Mark Millar, and he's, he's definitely riding a wave right now. He's pretty popular, but reading a lot of his stuff, he's done a great job at touching so many different genres and, and bringing out a lot of works, uh, publishing kind of them on, on his own. I mean, obviously, he became popular writing for DC and writing for Marvel, and he decided to take a go of doing his own characters, and he's really done a good job building his own brand, and he pumps out a lot of creator-owned series, so he's definitely been a real inspiration. He, he does as well, and he kind, he kind of divides comic book readers as well. Because I, I remember I used to uh, I used to do this podcast uh, a long time ago uh, with Wayne Hall. Um, he went off and did his own uh, Wayne's World, um, and noticed you'd been on on an episode of his. Um, but uh, I remember having quite you know in depth conversations with Wayne about Martin Mingar, Um, You know because Wayne didn't quite get Nemesis or, or some of the more sort of like graphic and you know. <laughs> violence and uh, of, of Mark Mingar's work. He's definitely polarizing with a lot of the stuff that he writes. He, he, he most definitely is. Um, but, you know, I, I actually think that's actually a good thing, you know? Um, because uh, the way I see it, if you're, not, if you're not polarizing opinion and stuff like that, you, you, you know, as a writer um, or even as a comic book writer, you're not doing your job properly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of like... Um, I think I think writers, you know, are out there to actually challenge pe- other people's perceptions, you know, and that's part part of why 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 it's uh, such an entertaining genre. Yeah, I've, he's he's just got a really diverse catalog of stories and things that he's he's done. I mean, you see, a, he does have a lot of violence in them. Nemesis, obviously, being a big one. Wanted being another, but he but he also has a lot of. Um, uh, Strong thematic stories too. I mean, I just take Civil War that he that he architected at, at uh, Marvel, and that that in and of itself was a, I thought was a huge success. It was very dynamic and involved a lot of characters, and it was a lot to be said about it. Yeah, and um, it had Sam Jackson as a uh, as Nick Fury before Sam Jackson became Nick Fury. Oh yeah, he, he, Ultimates. <laughs> he did a, he did a, definitely did a great job launching the uh, the Ultimate Universe, and that was kind of the the big one that got me into. The comics. I definitely got sucked into Marvel's whole multi, multi, uh, marketing strategy with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, what what kind of stories inspire you? Because um, obviously, uh, modern 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 testaments kind of like uh, biblical mythology and and stuff like that. Are, are you are you actually a big fan of mythology, science fiction, that kind of storytelling? I, I am. I mean, I like to think I. I touch in everything. I mean, when it comes to music, I like a, a little bit of every type of music, and I think the same thing when it comes to stories. I try not to get um, pigeonholed into one genre, either writing horror or writing science fiction. I, I think every single genre has its, its pros and its cons, and I like writing comedy, and I like writing mystery, and I like writing all this stuff, so I try to dabble into every single type of story. And, and in the end, even making a, a story that takes elements of all these different types of genre and, and putting them together, because there's no one, there's no one genre that is just one dynamic type of genre, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of the best stories are actually a mishmash of, of uh, lots of different genres. I mean, look at Doctor Who, you can have a, a time travel, you can have a, a time travel historical one week and then he's fighting the Daleks for next. And then he's meeting the Queen the week after that, you know. Like... Yeah, I have a confession to make. I've never seen an episode of Doctor Who. Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> I hear great things things about it. Maybe I'll check it out. There's just so much great TV out now. It's hard to keep track, especially if you're super busy. Indeed it is. I mean, I've actually got uh, stuff on my, um, on my Skybox uh, that, that's been on there for about a good year that I've not got to watching yet. I'm surprised they didn't delete it on you. <laughs> well, 
well, you know, I, I kind of delete odd stuff and uh, and think, well, you know, I, you know, on second thoughts, I don't think I'm like that. So I kind of, you know, get rid of stuff a little bit along the way because you have to. Yeah, I watch a lot of the uh, well, I watch a lot of stuff with my wife, so it's it, it has to correspond our schedules into making sure that we can both watch at the same time. But a lot of stuff I watch by myself, I try to. I can't just watch a show and not do anything because there's just so much to watch that just to sit down, it'll take so much time. So I try to watch stuff while doing the dishes or watch stuff while doing the laundry or I always have to be doing something else. Yeah, that's that's usually that's usually how I listen to music and watch stuff as well. And when I'm not doing that, I'm playing my guitar. <laughs> no, <laughs> or, or riding for the side. Um, but it's um, it's it's just crazy. There's so there's so much choice out there now. Um, but there's also so much crap. <laughs> there is. There is. Um, so uh, modern mo- modern testament the, the the fourth issue. Uh, could you give us a little bit of a maybe insight into into what that is? Um, I figure with yeah with the fourth issue, I figure uh, go big or go home. Uh-huh. So I'm going for the big guns. With I'm doing a story on God and I'm doing a story with the devil. So oh, wow. the two biggest figures, I guess, in those type of mythologies. And for each, um, another reason why I'm doing four volumes is I'm trying to divide. A horseman of the apocalypse for every volume, and I figure obviously the the biggest of the horsemen is is death because so um, he's gonna or he's definitely gonna close out the series with the the final volume. Cool. Have you ever have you ever thought of doing sort of like uh, a modern testament testament team up where you, you know basically have Moses and Noah and stuff like that and team up like the Avengers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've kind of thought about it. I actually have a, a buddy, um, Braden Cox, who's doing a series called Reclaiming Godhood, which features the Roman god Jupiter, mm-hmm. and he's having kind of side issues where Jupiter jumps between realities, so we're, we've been uh, talking about possibly doing a crossover where uh, the Roman god Jupiter would be uh, interacting with some of the characters from Modern Testament. That sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm trying to wait to round out volume four and then trying to tackle the idea at that time, but it's definitely something that's in, in the works. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, is there anything else you'd like to uh, talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm working on a whole bunch of, of comic stuff, but I do a lot of prose writing too. I've just had a, uh, a horror novel that was released about a month or so ago. It was, it was a dual horror novel. It was, I'm trying to, it was kind of like a, a pulp, pulp fiction kind of, um, or pulp horror type of theme book where I got a vampire story and a werewolf story and it's double-sided so you you read one story and then you flip it over and then you can read the other story. Wow, that's a cool idea. Yeah, and uh, I just had that out with an indie publisher Burning Willow Press here in the States and yeah, I got a couple, a couple other stories I'm working on so I've uh, been trying to keep busy. Do you, do you have a website where people can keep up with your work? The best way I... I post a lot of the stuff about what I'm doing on, on my Facebook page, which would be facebook.com slash frankmartinwriter and I, I tweet from time to time at, at frankthewriter just kind of various thoughts in writing or or stick, uh, work in progress that I got going on Okay, well uh, thanks a lot for your time Frank, um, and um, we look forward to reading Modern Testament 4 when it comes out and uh, and 3 as well when, when that drops Thanks for having me on No worries Hey everybody, this is Daniel Corey, writer of Image Comics Moriarty and Red City and Danger Cats Ludworth, and you are listening to SFP Now. Okay, um, we hope you enjoyed uh, our interview with Frank Martin. Um, You should really check out uh, Modern Testament, it's a great comic. Uh, Joining me now for the uh, television uh, segment um, is Raisa. Raisa, Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you. Yeah, how, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. And how was Christmas? Christmas was good. I got lots of chocolates and, uh, yeah, lots of chocolate and tea. And we had a great time. I spent time with my mom. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. My, my Christmas wasn't so good, unfortunately. Uh, my, uh, my, my best bud, my wingman, my cat, Sasha, Sasha uh, he sadly passed away. Oh, um, condolences. So, so that that put a big downer on Christmas for me. Um, but you know, sort of like um, he he was around for twenty years. His favorite things were batting the TV when the football was on, uh, zoning out to Doctor Who, and um, and trying to chase the uh, X-wing fighters around the screen when Star Wars was on. Oh, 
You know, that, that was when he was a kitten. And one of his other, <coughs> one, one of his other hobbies was car surfing. <coughs> so um, he, he was a very active cat. <laughs> um, Sounds like. But without further ado, um, television. We've had quite a bit happen over over Christmas. Um, the usual shows are off the air, but I'm not sure if you want to do, do a little bit of DC, DC news towards the end to round things yeah. off. I, I, I published two DC articles of stuff that came out of the TCAs, and I'll just bring up a couple of things that were mentioned during the TCAs. Okay, so we'll bring those up towards the end. Um, I'm thinking the best place to start really here um, is, because we didn't discuss it and you know really too much, but we had a Doctor Who special uh, air over Christmas, and um, for once it wasn't about Christmas. Yes, and it was actually the, the best one we've had in a while. Um, it was the superhero themed one, and they and they really went all out. It was quite wonderful. I I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, we saw like um, obviously it didn't have the, the 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 amount of depth and subtlety that some of the uh, some of the average episodes do, but the Christmas episodes never do. But no. for for a Christmas episode, for a special episode, it was actually one of the best ones I've seen. Certainly yeah. the best one since the. Um, since since one since since a Christmas Carol, yes, yes, um, which which is my favourite actually out of out of the Christmas episodes. I think uh, I think that one and the uh, very first one that they did with Dave, David Tennant. That yeah, the David Tennant one was was excellent. Yeah, so yeah, this this one this one benefited from not being overly Christmassy, and then, and this one benefited from just being unapologetically what it was, no more, no less. Uh-huh. And, and, yeah. um, and, they, and they wore their hearts on their sleeves, and they obviously loved the superhero material and were keen to do their own spin on it. And I loved the fact that the Doctor was basically indirectly responsible for creating a superhero. Mm, I, I love the fact that it was called Doctor Mysterio. That's, that's what he's called in, in Mexico, which is, I think, why they did it. Ah, so that's so, what Doctor Who's called in New Mexico. Yeah, it's called Doctor Mysterio. I know this because it was brought up um, during one of the world tours. Um, when, when they went to Mexico, um, Capaldi brought up the fact that it's called Doctor Mysterio in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, I thought it was a really good episode. I thought it was really well done. I kind of like the, uh, the, the segment when the Doctor visits him when he's in, high, when he's in Sonic School. Um, yes. I'm saying high school. I shouldn't be saying high school because that's an American thing. We yeah, don't have more, high like, school more like middle school anyway. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> we we do have we we actually do we actually do have high school here now. My 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 niece has started call, you know my niece goes to high school, so uh-huh. they've started calling it that now. Um, but it used to be called secondary modern or just senior school or or what have you. Uh-huh. Um, but I love that part where 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 you know he's 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 uh, trying not to look at the girls because he's X-ray vision. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I just thought, yeah, um, how how incredibly polite. And then there's that line that comes up in it later on, where where he's talking to the reporter, his reporter girlfriend, that he's just kind of gotten together with, and uh-huh. and um, she asks him how long puberty went on for, and he goes, oh, it went on for quite a while. <laughs> oh, oh god! I just thought that was so funny and so cute. Um, huh? But what I also liked about it is it was unapologetic, like you say, and it was very much channeling this sort of like uh, the the same sort of vibe that the that 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 the Richard Donner movies channeled. Yes, yeah, the, but the Richard Donner movies are still the standard in terms of in terms of uh, classic superhero movies and, and what they should be like. And part of the problem is. Um, I kind of think of it as the, the games of Game of Thronesization of of everything. Game of Thrones was so popular that then everybody thinks that they need to be dark. Yeah, that's not necessarily it though, because uh, the uh, Batman films, the uh, yeah, well, that, the, Christopher, yeah, yeah. the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, I think that came out before Game of Thrones did. Yeah, they, yeah, you're right. And uh, and, and that's that's kind of like the template that DC are using. Whereas if you here's watch, here's the thing, I actually. I don't like the Nolan films very much. I kind of regard them as uh, films with subpar scripts that were elevated by by stellar acting. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like the second one um, out of the three of them, best of all. Uh, the first one dragged a bit. Yeah. Um, but I still quite enjoyed it because it was different. 
I mean, I, I, I personally think the Christopher Nolan Batman films are actually truer to the roots, the original roots of the Batman character. Because um, the original roots of the Batman character, he actually killed people. Yeah, he, he actually carried a gun. You know, he, he was a, he was a vigilante and he was merciless in, in the original okay. comics. So. Um, I, I think that's you know what the Nolan films had back to. Um, I mean, it w- wasn't really until the sixties and and seventies that they lightened the tone of Batman uh, for the for the uh, Burt Ward and, um, and the Burt Ward and Adam West series, uh, uh-huh. which I wasn't really a, a huge, which I was a huge fan of when I was a kid. Yeah. But now, and as an adult, and even as an eighteen, when I was in my late teens, I wasn't really a fan of it because you know I, I preferred Batman to be darker because that's what Batman actually should be and, and was. Whereas you know I prefer Superman to be lighter. You know? Yeah. The, the the thing is that the Batman sixty series. I I recently discovered some Batman serials from nineteen forty three and nineteen forty nine respectively. And the Batman series in the 60s is a response to those serials. Mm-hmm. So every iteration of Batman has been a response to the iteration before. Yeah. And so 66 was about the 40s serials, mm-hmm. basically. But, you know, the thing is, um, you've got to remember that um, in, in the comic book form, it's changed and evolved so much over the years, and that kind of like in the eighties, it started going back to Dark Batman again, with uh-huh. Dark Knight Rises and Dark Knight Returns and all that. Yeah. Um, whereas I should imagine at some point it it, it could actually eventually go the other way. You know, it, you you don't know. I mean, but the the thing is, the reason the uh, the, the the Batman versus Sup- the Superman movie didn't work for me is because both the characters were dark. Yeah, they whereas, can't both be dark. There's got to actually be contrast. Whereas the whole point of the uh, the the, the uh, thing between Batman and Superman, whenever they're together in the cartoons films and stuff like that is Superman's kind of like the more optimistic one. Yeah. Batman's the more sort of like pessimistic, cynical, um, pragmatist. Yeah, and they, and, they, and, they genu- and they genuinely don't like each other beyond a certain point because they have actual philosophical differences mm-hmm. that didn't adequately come through in this movie, in that movie, because they were trying to do too much. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the only thing that saved that movie, and she only just managed to do it, was Wonder Woman. Yes, I'm actually looking forward to Wonder Woman. But I would say that because, I, you know, I'm broke, and, and um, any woman that's uh, got the physique to, you know, dress up as Wonder Woman... I'm so gonna go for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just pleased that they've actually hired a foreign national to play her because somebody over there finally remembered that she's actually a foreign national. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, moving on, we've done dot two. Um, librarians. I've not seen the latest episode yet, so uh, I'm no. not up to date. But feel free to. Feel free to sort of spoil it anyway, because I'm, I'm going to watch it. It's, a, it's, it's actually my favourite one so far. Um, it's about vampires who found a way to um, walk in the sun. Oh. And it's an episode in which they actually deal with Cassandra's brain tumour. It actually oh, wow. comes to a head, and they have to actually have to deal with it. I think in part they wanted to deal with it to eliminate her from the, um, are they going to kill her pool? Yeah, well, we know, we know who they're going to kill, don't we? It's it's gonna have to be. It's gonna have. I'm hoping it's Flynn, simply because I, I don't actually like bait and bait and switch narratives. I've gotten to a point where if you're gonna say you're gonna kill somebody, that needs to actually be the somebody you kill. I'm kind of hoping it's Flynn, but I've got a feeling it's gonna be Jenkins. I'm hoping not, because the episode you haven't seen yet has a kick-ass Jenkins moment where you're reminded that he is Galahad, mm-hmm. and there's a and there's a subplot between him and Cassandra when she because she initially refuses to have surgery to remove the tumor because she thinks that her her powers, her math powers are going to go bye-bye and, she, and her entire identity will go bye-bye with it and she'd rather die as what she is. And so initially she won't go in for the surgery and when she thinks she's going to die, she asks Jenkins to, if she wants to go out for dinner. Cool. And, and we, get to, we get him talking a little bit about being immortal and having taken this um, this vow because he and because he fell in love with this woman from afar who was probably very you know Guinevere and I'm hoping we meet her. That that'd uh, be good. But yeah, I've been enjoying the series so far. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say it's the best series we've had because I think I think that for me is still the first one. Yeah, 
Um, but it's it's maintained the standard and managed to do something different every year and, and still yes. remained fun and interesting to watch. Yes. You know, and um, I've, I've really enjoyed, enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, it's, as, it's rather wonderful. As, as an family entertainment, and I and I hope that it can go on. Um, well, I'm hoping it can go on as long as Supernatural, at least. Which is which has gotten renewed for season thirteen. Bless them. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> and, and you know what's crazy about it is Supernatural's was started losing its legs with me around about season seven. I still watch it, or I don't go out my way to make it a must-watch TV. I'll just sort of like let a few episodes build up on the um, on on the thing and then watch it, mm. and sort of thing. But it's not something I, I I immediately tune in for every week. I generally usually watch it when there's nothing else happening. Mm. Um, now, um, but it's um, it's kind of a I, I I've got a feeling that season thirteen might well be its last. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, because those two actors uh, <laughs> and and stuff like that, they've died so many times already <laughs> in the series. Yeah. Um, it's um, you know, I think they're gonna have to call time on it at some point. Um, but yeah, librarians. I'm hoping it can go on for that long because they don't have to keep the same cast. That's the thing. Librarians die. Uh-huh. So they don't have to keep the same cast. They could actually have new people come in and. And stuff like that, sort of thing. And and Jenkins could re, you know, pass on and regenerate in somebody else or, or what have you. Yes. So th- there is potential there for, for, for librarians to go on and on and on if if, if, if it continues to you know score good ratings and what have you. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping Jenkins stays around a little longer because there's there's a sequence in Jenkins saves the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he and he saves the day in Galahad mode, and you're reminded that he is Galahad, and it is a kick-ass scene. And when you see it, you'll 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 start to wonder. You know, you'll start to wish you'd been a fly on the wall when Lara Kent got the script for the episode, mm. <laughs> because it's, it's like it's just one of those scenes that you that you pray for as an actor of a certain age. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, the one thing I've noticed as well, it's now it's not now no no longer being produced by John Rogers. It's actually uh, a. I can't remember oh. the name off the top of my head. The guy that created the series <clears throat> and and the films um, did the uh, Independence Day movies. Devlin, Dean Devlin. Dean Devlin. It's now Dean yeah, Devlin. Yeah, it's, it, it's always been produced by him. Yeah. Yeah, but the first two seasons were were produced by him and John Rogers. Oh, so John Rogers isn't connected as a producer anymore? Okay. No. Yeah, okay. I, I think he I think he's written a few episodes, but he's no longer there as a producer. Uh-huh. Um, because I got um, I got informed of that when when I mentioned John Rogers in one of my reviews, and they say he's no longer a producer, and and he said to me to me himself on Twitter, um, I'm no longer a producer on this show, but it's a nice review. Um, you know, pass it on to Dean Devlin. And he passed oh, it on okay. to Dean Devlin, and Dean Devlin retweeted it. Oh. <laughs> so, it's, uh, but, yeah, it's... Um, I mean, I think I think um, John Rogers is actually working on a, a reboot of Magnum. Oh, uh, OK. I'm, I'm, no. I'm not sure, don't quote me on that, but he, he was mentioning something he was working on called Magnum, and I don't know if it's the same sort of, like, thing or if it's a different thing. If it's the same thing, I hope it's better than MacGyver, because MacGyver was dire. Oh, MacGyver still is dire. <laughs> it's still happening. It's still going on. Um, oh. I don't know if you read my latest review, but apparently, I have. I apparently have. Thornton's a traitor. Yes. And I was thinking, good, because she wasn't working anyway. Uh, yeah. But she's not going to be written out, because um, I was looking ahead the other day, and she's still in the cast for the, ne- for the next ten episodes. Oh, God. So I've got a feeling it's... Um, I've got a feeling it's it's a it's a bluff. Um, so I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna watch it for you. I'll carry on reviewing them, but you know you probably noticed I'm scoring them less and less with each passing episode. Yeah, you are. Um, and and speaking of an, of a show moving on that we were not thrilled with, there's Emerald City. Mm-hmm. It was not good. It was. You know, I felt sorry for the actors, to be honest. 
I really did because it was obvious they were giving their all. They were really trying. You know, it's um, it's just really badly written, ill-conceived. They've moved too far away from the uh, mythology of Wizard of Oz and everything that makes Wizard of Oz so good. They've kind of tried to go Game of Thrones night with it. Yeah. And we've got the Wicked Witch of the, of the West, who's what, she's she's a she's a flipping hawker and alcoholic. Yes. Um, you know, and they have the flying monkeys are drones. Yep. And Dorothy's committed murder twice now. First time twice. by accident, the second time yeah. purposefully. Yes. Well, actually three times. No, twice, because sort of like the old lady, they let her live, didn't they? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, it was all like, um, so so Dorothy doing that, that that was just amazingly out of character, really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's and, I've, and I've talked about this before, this, is a, this isn't just specific to any one show, this is systemic. This is the entertainment industry um, becoming too wed to allegory. It's where the allegory becomes more important than the overall story and the source material that they're commenting on in the first place. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is becoming a problem more and more just generally. Um, they need, they need, it's like, it's like they've got an allegory problem. They need to, um, they need to stage an inter- intervention and wean themselves off it. The thing what they need to do is they need to go back to doing serialized television for a while. Yeah. Um, because at least when they did that, they told a story, mm-hmm. and uh, the the allegory wasn't um, say as important as say having likable characters and yeah. a decent storyline that had a beginning, middle, and an end. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, the one thing with Wizard of Oz is it doesn't work right away because they're trying to tell the first L. Frank Baum story as a TV series running over 10 episodes. Yeah. Now, you know, you're not going to do that over 10 episodes. You could probably do it over two episodes yes. sort of thing and, and do it quite well over two episodes. But if you try to drag it out over 10 episodes, you're having to add more bits Stop. and pieces of the universe and more stuff in order to make it better and you're having to change too much stuff so yeah. it no longer becomes identifiable as the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and the other, the other problem is, and I'm saying this as an English major who's actually studied allegory, allegory is overrated. Allegory is something that needs to be used as a scalpel, not a sledgehammer. Yeah, and I mean it should be there to set the characters up. Yes, fine with it's, it's glue. Not the narrative itself. I mean, I'm fine with it being there to set the characters up, you know, give them a little bit of a backstory sort of thing. But don't give them a backstory and go on about it for 10 minutes, where where you can actually use that 10 minutes to actually be moving the story along. Yeah. And and, and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not an English major, um, but I did did actually study English language and and literature, but I I didn't do it as an English major. I I basically got a C+. Mm. And didn't think I was going to get that because I I actually struggled with uh with with, with written English in, in as a general rule because it wasn't really my thing because I'm more of a visual thinker mm-hmm. you know and and that that's always been my more, my thing visuals and uh, and and music and sound um mm-hmm. uh, but written English not my thing as mm-hmm. as as uh, my articles can attest to on the website. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm kind of half joking there because even my stuff on on the website is probably you know better than a lot of stuff you you, you see elsewhere on other websites sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I'm probably no worse or or better than than than, than your average person that's doing it really, uh. unless they're a professional and they're being paid super bucks. <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is I've seen worse than me, I've seen better than me. So I'm somewhere I'm somewhere in the middle, mm. I guess. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm, I'm kind of average. Mm. Um, so I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet there by, by any means. But, um, you know, as someone who isn't an English major, I know what a good story is. Yes. And and that that should be at the end. And I'm guessing that's what an English major does at the end of the day. You know, identifies yes. the elements that make up a good story. Yes. I do everything you do except I have a larger vocabulary to do it with. No, you just have a you just have a bigger toolkit. I won't say larger, <laughs> I won't say larger vocabulary because that's actually oh, that's a I mean, the, the, the the vocabulary that goes along with the toolkit. I know, I know mm-hmm. what these things are called basically, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. because if you want to have a world of words we can do this right now. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah you 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 got you got a better two kit than me, mm. you know. Yeah. You you've got power tools. I've got analog. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Analog still gets the job done. <laughs> yeah, it still does. 
But yeah, Wizard of the Emerald City, awful. Um, oh, really bad, like actively bad, actively bad. Um, but that said, it can only get better from here and in if you stick with it. I don't if plan you, to. If you want to stick with it. I don't plan to either, but I, I'm sort of like, I'm trying to be optimistic. <laughs> but those that, are, you know, there, there probably be, will be people that will stick with it. And then I'll get to the end of it and think, wow. But, you know, this for me was actually worse than what I did with Flash Garden. And that's saying something. Because oh, what, Flash, the Flash Garden at, at the time was the most dire thing I'd ever oh seen. Oh my God, they amputated his dick and his balls. <sighs> And that, 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 that's basically, they, they basically took his manhood away from him, mm. you know, because he was living with his mum, you know, in, in the series. And, um, you know, and that's basically what they did. They, they took the, um, they took the, the machismo, the, the macho-ness, the sort of like, the manliness away from the character. Yeah. And then, and then gave all of that testosterone plus to a really lamely written variation of, of Ming the Merciless. Yeah, with hair. With hair. You know, and, um, you know, he wasn't, you know... Max von Sydow did a brilliant job of it. Yeah, I, and, I loved him. He and, was awesome. And Charles Middleton in the uh, in the movie serials. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's that's Ming the Merciless, and that's the way it should be done. It yes. It should never be done as, like... Um, basically, they just tried to ground Ming the Merciless and, and turn him into a sympathetic politician. It didn't work, you know? <sighs> If you try and turn a tyrant into a sympathetic politician, you just sort of like, you know, it doesn't work. No, commit. You just got to commit. You just got to commit and, and, and make the character as vigorous and as despotic and as nasty as possible. Mm. And, 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 you know, either people like him as a vegan or they don't like him, you know. I mean, you're not supposed to like the vegan anyway. No. <laughs> And, and, and we've talked about this before. One of the one of the problems that we have is that a lot of the villains are they they're too charismatic. It's basically Hans Gruberitis, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if, you, if you make the villains too charismatic, you're screwed. It's, you know, you gotta you gotta write you gotta write the characters equal. You know, there's gotta be an equal balance. Yeah, you're Han, not gonna make it. Hans Gruber was yeah he he was a likable villain, but he was still a villain. Yes. At the end of the day. And, you know, and the only reason that worked wasn't just because of the writing. It was mostly Alan Rickman. That's it why was it Rickman. worked. <laughs> yeah. It was mostly Alan Rickman. It, it was Rickman. I mean, it was, it was on account of Rickman and that they even had that wonderfully pivotal scene with Gruber and the American accent. That wasn't even in the, that wasn't even in the film. That was because they discovered Rickman could do an American accent. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, you know, that, that, that's the whole thing, you know, sort of like, um, and, and, um, because, you know, Rickman was just such a bloody good actor. You know, he was sort of like, um, it was sad to lose him. Uh, talking of which, um, what else did we say I was going to talk about? So we was going to talk about DC stuff, but I want to quickly touch on Sherlock. a few things. Oh, Sherlock. Sherlock. Okay, I want to touch on something after Sherlock before we go into the DC stuff. Okay. Uh, because we've had a lot of things happen over Christmas. Uh, but I watched Sherlock last night and I thought, awesome. Yes. Um, if one or both of them doesn't get a BAFTA, I'm going to be very annoyed. Mm. Because that, that was... Or at the very least, a BAFTA nomination, if not the award, because that was that was worthy of some acknowledgement. I mean, um, Toby Jones as the villain in that was way way better than Moriarty. Oh God, you Toby know. Jones was next level. And here's the thing: um, I've I've read I've read the Holmes canon. I, you have too. Um, the story that it was taken from is the dying detective, and the reason, and you complained about the fact that uh, that he confesses at the end. That's because that's a nod to the original story. That's how the original story plays out. Mm-hmm. And so um, they they basically did some di- some some different twists and turns to get to their version of how the story plays out. I wasn't really complaining as such. I was just a little bit disappointed because I wanted a little bit more of a mystery. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think I they had to wrap that up because for uh, for the the East Wind sister, your us. I could understand why they did it that way. Because yeah. it was all about it was all about Sherlock helping Doctor Watson. And Dr. Yes. Watson being coaxed out to help Sherlock. So you couldn't really have a mystery um, as such, you know, to do that. You had to yeah. set something really complicated and really dire and really nasty up in order to sort of like pull Watson out of his slump. Yes. And that, that's what yes. they did. I mean, I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the bit at the beginning where, where, where he seemed to be walking around London on his own. And yes. he was actually with Eros. Yes. Sort of thing. 
Um, and and I'm and I'm betting they will heart back that back to that in the next episode and yes. and, and reveal how it was done. But I thought it was all very clever and uh, really really dark. I've only watched it the one time. Um, I'm going to have to watch it again at some point so so I can pick up on a few more more of the subtleties of it. I'm I'm wondering how it is that that family ended up the way they did within the modern series canon because in the story canon, the original story canon. There is some acknowledgement of of some discrete instabilities mm-hmm. in in their in their family line when when Sherlock and Mycroft are talking in some of the original stories. There are some some just some some brief acknowledgement that uh, that there there were some instabilities there. Um, but we've met their parents briefly, and they seem like you know fairly normal people. And so you got to wonder how they ended up with these three bizarre children. Um, Maybe the parents died, and they ended up in foster care. <laughs> that might have been. There's going to have to be something like that because yeah. there's just no way to explain it other than that. You know, well, I, I ended up in foster care quite a lot, and I'm, I'm a bizarre person, so <laughs> that's, probably, well, that's probably why I can relate to Sherlock. <laughs> Not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, um, I thought it was a great, uh, great episode, certainly way up there with the, with the Abominable Bride. Yes. Um, and the acting performances from Cumberbatch and Toby Jones were absolutely fantastic. And, um, and obviously you had John Freeman putting in his performance, which kind of like balanced those two out. And the fact that it was he was being he was being sort of like haunted by his memories of Mary because of his own guilt at having yes. having yeah. sort of like had feelings towards another woman yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, it was all you know it was all really cleverly done. And um, no, Cumber, the, the thing about Cumberbatch is that some people complain that there's too much Cumberbatch that he's pretty much everywhere now. But the reason he's everywhere isn't just because he has a fan base; it's because the man is that good. Mm. I mean, he's kind of like the Jeremy Irons for his generation. Yes. You know, if, yes. You, if you remember when Jeremy Irons first came came to light, he was everywhere. You know, he was a villain in Die Hard. He made the voice of Scar in Lion King. You know, yes. he, he was everywhere. So, you know, it's, it's no different for Cumberbatch, really. Only I think, arguably, Cumberbatch has actually become a much bigger star because of the the high profile roles he's taken on. Yes, yes. Um, and I don't know if I don't know if you've seen Doctor Strange yet, but he he inhabits Strange. It was it's the most perfect casting I think I've ever seen in a Marvel franchise yet. I didn't get to see it because unfortunately I was moving at the time that it came out in the cinema and mm. I, I oh, rent it as rent it as soon as you can because it is spectacular. I probably won't even rent it. I'll just buy it. Oh. Um, I buy all the Marvel stuff. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, you know, so like, because uh, there's no point in renting it if you're going to be watching it a few times uh-huh. over a period of time. I mean, I, I just revisited Captain America Civil War last night, sort of thing, uh-huh. and, and cool. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, I'm a bit dubious because I'm not really, I'm, I'm not really familiar with Doctor Strange in, in, in the, you know, it's, it's similar, it's similar situation to Ant Man. Uh, I was familiar with Ant Man from, from sort of like uh, the Avengers, uh-huh. but I wasn't familiar with him as a standalone character sort of thing. So, and you know, I, I wasn't really compelled to read the comic or anything to find out. Uh-huh. But I went to see the movie anyway and took a chance on it, and it's going to be the same with Doctor Strange. Uh-huh. For me, it's going to be that same sort of situation. Um, anyway, uh, do you have anything else to say about Sherlock before we move on? No, nothing except that I'm really looking forward to the, the season and maybe series finale. If we don't get any more after this, I'm fine with that because they've all delivered. I'm fine with it as well, but I think we will get more. But I think it will be a couple of years down the line. I'm hoping at some point we get, as part of as part of the main story, we get a flashback to Mrs. Hudson's backstory, the sort of Miami Vice meets arsenic and old lace story that they've been alluding to with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would really like to see that story and 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 see Una, Una Stubbs get you know her due. Do you know what would do you know what would be cool if they CGI'd to a younger Una Stubbs? Yes. You know that that be really cool because Una Stubbs when she was young she was a really attractive woman. I, I gather that she was because she she I you you could see the prettiness even at her age now. And um, uh, well, if yeah. you if you've ever seen Cliff Richard and Summer Holiday, she's in that. Okay, I'll look it um, up. You know, it's a it's a really shit movie, but she's in that. <laughs> 
<laughs> a lot of stills. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it was actually a fun movie to watch growing up because, sort of like, Cliff Richard and that, you know, sort of like in the 70s, he was still a pretty big deal. Now uh-huh. he's kind of like, I don't know, has been. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. But, um, you know, m- music kind of moved on for me, you know, sometime around about 1980. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but, you know, but in some, Summer Holiday, it's sort of like it's typical, sort of like British. Uh, you know, feel good movie, and that's all it is. It's kind of like a, a feel good movie. It's musical, uh, featuring songs by Cliff Richard and the Shadows, and 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 they basically go on holiday and drive across Europe in a London bus and get have all sorts of adventures. It's very, okay. it's very, very camp <laughs> and over the top. But Una Stubbs is in that. Um, she was in most of the Cliff Richard movies, as as a matter of fact. Oh, um, okay. So. That, that's a way to see her when she was younger. Um, but yeah, moving on, um, and this bears some discussion, we had um, the last casualty, uh, well, the last few casualties for uh, 2016 were George Michael. Yes. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. And Carrie Fisher's mother, Debbie Reynolds. The Daily. Yeah. The day later. Uh, the one that I'm obviously wanting to talk about is Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Um, um, there are two levels to, to talk about this. One is one is the fan level and one is the industry level. If you think about Star Wars as a franchise, they're okay through eight because she filmed her part for the next film. Nine is a problem. Nine, nine is a problem, um, but we don't know whether they killed her off in eight. They didn't, because the the people in the industry are already talking about the fact that they're going to have to re- rewrite nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, the, um, the, they may have to kill her off at the beginning of nine or or um, carry her on, but use CGI sort of thing. E- either way, it's going to be controversial. Either way, it's going to piss somebody off. I don't envy them. They've got some really hard decisions to make. I don't. Forward. I mean, in, on that level, I don't mind them doing CGI as long as it's uh, as good, if not better, than what they did with Grand Moff Tarkin. I mean, mm. the Grand Moff Tarkin stuff wasn't perfect. I'm going to say that now because there's a lot of people that say, oh, you got fair, you didn't look real sort of thing. But to, to people that had never, who didn't know who he was or... Or, uh, or younger viewers that, that had only seen New Hope and stuff like that, but didn't know who Peter Cushion was, it looked normal, uh-huh. sort of thing. I think I think what 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 it is at the end of the day is too much of emotional attachment to it for the for the older fans when, yeah. when they do anything like this. So you're gonna have this backlash no matter what you say. You're gonna have people that are in the camp of you know it looks cool. They did a pretty good job. They did as good a job as they could have done. They couldn't have done it 10 years ago, because if you look at what they're trying to do in Revenge of the Shit, sorry, Revenge of the Sith, uh, <laughs> when, when they had the reflection of Grand Moff Tarkin, it was nowhere near. Um, but I, I thought they did a really good job of it, and I thought uh, Guy Henry did a brilliant job of, uh, of voicing it. Um, so I personally wouldn't mind if they did it, as long as Carrie Fisher had actually signed off on it before she passed. What, what, what's ironic is they made a big deal of killing Han Solo, and then they were going to have Leia be the surviving parent who dealt with the aftermath. Mm-hmm. And then Carrie Fisher is the one who actually goes and dies. What they should have done was keep Han Solo. Because <laughs> yeah. now both the parents are dead. They, they would have struggled to do that because uh, Harrison Ford wanted out. Oh, dear. Okay. That's, what, that's why they killed Han Solo. Harrison Ford wanted out. Uh, okay. He wanted out at the end of Revenge, at, at the end of Return of the Jedi. You know, he didn't even want, he didn't want, really want to come back to do Return of the Jedi. He wanted out back then, but the, you know, the, uh, you know, he was over, overruled, and I think he was kind of contracted to do that. Mm. Um, okay. To, to come back, but he wanted to be killed in Return of the Jedi, and they, you know, unfortunately, they, 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 they didn't grant his wish. Okay. Um, but Ford wanted out. Um, so, you know, but that said, I believe that the, 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 there have been rumours that there'll be flashbacks to Han Solo in the next film. Yeah, okay. That, that's been going around for quite a while. So whether he filmed them last time or, or what have you, I don't know. Um, okay, cool. But it's, you know, it, it is going to be controversial no matter what they do. Um, yeah. on, on the note of the actress sort of thing, I think it's really sad. I just, um, I found on YouTube yesterday... 
and don't think it's going to be there very long. It will probably get removed in a matter of days. But I found uh, Wishful Drinking, which is her one-woman show that she did in 2010. Ah, okay. And I watched through that, and it was an Arius. I mean, what I'm going to miss as a fan of the movies, but also as sort of like generally a bit of a fan of, of her as a person, is, is her dry wit and sarcasm and humour. You know, every time she was on 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 a on a TV show being interviewed, she was absolutely hilarious. Yes, yes. You know, and and also she was a great advocate for people that 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 that, that had problems with mental illness. Yes. Um. So you know, we we've not just lost Princess Leia; we've just lost um a, an overall you know very real, very very grounded. Uh, very very awesome person very awesome human being so it's um it it, it is sad sad news um and you know it just seems that 2016 the year from hell you know we lost we lost bowie awful we lost bowie you guys got trump we got bloody brexit we lost you know it's just all like um so I'm hoping 2017 is is a year that everything's sort of like prepped stable stabilizes a little bit I'm hoping that we just have an old reality TV stars die this year. Please. You know. Yeah. You know that because they're they're, they're useless. <laughs> you know. Um. You know, fed up about all these people dying that are actually genuinely talented. Uh-huh. You know, it's um uh, it's one of those. But uh, moving on to a more positive note, um, you've got some DC things you want to talk about before. Yeah, recently they had the Television Critics Association, the gift that keeps on giving. And I got two articles worth of stuff, which um, uh, listeners are welcome to go and read the whole two articles to get everything that they announced. Uh, the two, there are th- three things that are most important. A, all the DC shows have been renewed. All the CWDC shows have been renewed. Um, B, um, Keith David, as in the Keith David, is oh. voicing uh, the guerrilla leader, Solivar. On, in their uh, Gorilla, two, Gorilla City two-parter. Awesome. Yes. Oh. And I guess they, they're getting some really awesome actors to do these voice roles. I hope they find some on-screen roles for some of them soon. Keith David, though, he's awesome. I, I remember interviewing he, him a few years back. He was just he, he delivers. Everything he's in, he delivers. He's, yeah. such, he's such a nice man. Yeah. Um, as soon as I interviewed him, after I'd interviewed him, moments after I'd finished interviewing him, he was following me on Twitter. Oh. That's just how... That's just such how such an awesome person he actually is. Yeah. Just a really, really nice man. A really, really talented man. And uh, I'd, I'd love to sort of like uh, try and get an interview with him again. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm sometimes reluctant to approach people on Twitter because, you know, I kind of want to try and respect their privacy. But at the same time, you want to get an interview sort of thing. So the only way you can do it is by asking. Yeah, no, so. then, yeah, the worst they can do is say no, and sometimes mm. they say yes. So yeah, yeah. but it's it's kind of like when 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 it's with someone that you've interviewed once before and you you settled that prior relationship, you, you you're also, you're you sometimes a little bit unsure about whether they'd be open to, to sort of like doing it again, um, yeah. and, and not really wanting to sort of like tread on their toes. But I I I will probably try and do that because Keith David's done quite a lot since uh, since the Cape anyway. So yes, and he. He elevated the cape. He's why the cape was watchable. Mm-hmm. He had, he had, it was it was another one of those Hans Gruberitis cases where the where the the, the the villains and the antiheroes were actually more interesting than the than the titular hero. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the, the the third piece of um, thing the news from DC that is really really cool is that they are continuing to inch back into Constantine. Constantine is getting the same treatment as Vixen. He's going to be, and this is a, this is in addition to the dark, um, uh, Justice League Dark animated movie, which is a separate thing. In addition to that, uh, Matt Ryan will also be returning to voice Constantine in a CWC uh, animated webisode series along the lines of, of that they're trying to do that they're doing with Vixen. Personally, I'm really disappointed about that. Um, because we can't get CW seed, so it means we'll probably not get it here in the UK. I am really sorry about that. I, I contemplated not even bringing it up at all, but um, there are no, there are enough American viewers and listeners that I, I needed to mention it. Because we, I, am re- I am really sorry about we, that. We, we don't even get Vitsum. You know, I've been looking everywhere for it and been looking for it, um, sort of like via other means, and I've not found it yet. 
It's, and, Vixen is very rushed. Um, the, the episodes combine to, to, half, to basically a half an hour per season. But if you get past the fact it's rushed and just look at it for what it is, it's excellent, and I'm truly sorry you don't get it. And I'm hoping that um, from, from a scheduling standpoint, it makes sense because Matt Ryan is so busy now that he probably doesn't have time for anything more than animated work with the character right, right now. Um, I'm, I'm hoping yeah. that I'm hoping that Amazon maybe pick it up as a as an animated series or something. I'm, I'm they've, got to, they've got to do something. Um, I, I'm I'm truly sorry. I I had hoped that between between Vixen season one and Vixen season two, they would have addressed that for fans outside the US, but apparently they haven't. Because I absolutely love Constantine. It was sort of like it was just such a brilliant series. I'm actually reading the Hellblazer comics right now mm. because of that. Um, and you know, every time I read the Elbenaza comics, I actually hear the voice of Matt Ryan doing his Constantine yeah, he's, thing. He's so he's so perfect. I don't care whatever they do. I hope he plays the I hope he plays the role for life. Mm-hmm. I hope that even even if they have to schedule weirdly around him, and it turns into and it turns into the DC equivalent of Cumberbatch, where they have to schedule weirdly around whatever else he's doing. I'm good with that. He needs to just mm-hmm. always be Constantine. Another bit of DC news is they've just released an awesome new photograph for Justice League. Um, we've posted that on the site as well. Um, uh-huh. And um, they, there's also been you know, something else that came from out, out the TCAs, which is a bit of bad news, really. And that is that uh, Matt Podowitz at CW has said it's quite unlikely that we'll be seeing a Superman series starring Taylor Holchin. Certainly not, certainly not in the immediate future anyway. And uh, there are at present no plans to have him return to Supergirl. That moment. really sucks. But that that's only at present. You know, I think I think when Matt Podowitz said that, he's talking about the immediate future of Supergirl as in yeah, pro- this season. Pro- it's going to probably the rest of this year because this yeah. this whole year is in the can. So whatever they're going to do, they're going to have to start next year making plans so. but hopefully you know we'll see him pop up again you know because you know he was awesome he, yes he, he hit you know he was as good as dean kane yes was um i won't say he was better than dean kane because let's face it dean kane's series focused mainly on the romance between lois and Knapp, yes Crossing and and uh, the adventures were kind of second and it, and it was kind of campy and cheesy but i liked it <laughs> mm-hmm. um and you know, no, no one's ever really going to get you know surpass what Christopher Reeve did. No, and that's the thing. Um, it's it's a double edged sword. It's it's wonderful that they're chasing Christopher Reeve, and it's kind of sad that they're never going to catch up. Because um, you you would like to think that there would be an actor out there that could come close to what he did. Hawkland comes as close as I've seen yet. I mean, I, I um, thought um, I thought Dean Kane got very close, really, considering. Um, the um, certainly uh, Henry Cavill is nowhere near, and it's not which, down... is, which, is, which is sad because if you go, if you look at Henry Cavill in in The Man from Uncle, which I watched and enjoyed thoroughly, and didn't think I was going to enjoy it thoroughly, but I did. Um, he has the range to play the role clo- closer to the Donner version. Oh, he easily has the range. It's just that it's just the way they've written it and set it up. Yes. You know, it's nothing to do with his acting, and I, and I've always said that in when, whenever I've criticised those movies, I said it's absolutely nothing to do with Henry Cavill as an actor. No. It's just the way the way it's been written and set set up. Um, you know, it's basically Zack Snyder. He he's incapable of writing a script. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, he only does one 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 sort of script. Dark gritty and uh, full of spectacle but no humour mm. you know it's um, I mean Watchmen was quite a sombre affair but yes, it that was. said Watchmen in the comic book is a sombre affair as well so you know it actually yeah. suited suited Zack Snyder's strength whereas Superman doesn't no you know, so like it's um, and and also if you look at the DC movies same writers it's David S. Goyer and and stuff like that and, and you know whereas if you look at the uh the marvel movies you've had different writers on pretty much every single one or, or the same team of writers but they they continued on because they actually do good work and they're actually balancing out the, the edgier moments with the humor and and everything else uh-huh. um you know so as, as far as the movie contest goes marvel's still knocking out of the park and dc still got still got a lot of catching up to do yeah yeah. Um, 
But yeah, we've got we've got that uh, tying a hole hole in. Um, oh, I can't remember, can't enunciate his oh, name. I think it's Hockman. Hockman. Yeah. Tying a Hockman. I just swung old uh, a bunch of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he he did it really good. Although I've got to admit, there was quite some there was some quite embarrassing photos that circulated it of him on the internet before he. Before the episodes went live, of off his back backside in the Superman suit, uh. and thought, why, "Why are you showing these photos? You know what? What's the point of this?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, uh, is that it for this week? We anything else? I think I think we've covered it. Absolutely. Well, thanks as always for being on. Oh, you're thanks. welcome. Enjoyed it. Um, and uh, also. Uh, Thanks to uh, Frank Martin for agreeing to be interviewed um, in your on the show, um, and we wish him every success with the uh, with, with with the comics. Um, he's actually not going to be doing any more of the uh, of of the the, the comic book series uh, Modern Testament. He's actually moving on to new projects now. So, okay. so Volume Three of Modern Testament is the uh, the last one. Um, but I, I, you know, I wish him luck with with, with uh, future projects because he's he's got quite a few uh, that he talks about in the interview. So, yeah. so best of luck with that. Um, that's it for now. Um, so it's goodbye from us till next time, and we we do have another interview coming up. Um, quite an exciting one. It's with one of the uh, new guest cast members of Supernatural. So I'll not say who it is because I don't want to jinx it before we've actually got it in the can. <laughs> But we, we are scheduled to do it soon. So bye for now.